Good evening and welcome to another exciting edition of Eye on the Triangle. I am your host, Chris Chaffee. This week we have a great show for you. Jacob will have a story about your turning your neighborhood into a new growth forest. I prepared a story about Out Raleigh, a pride festival here in Raleigh. We will also have weather, sports, sound bites, video game news, an interview with the fastest man at NC State. And finally, Bricks Baking Boundaries will stop by to tell us about the school they are building in a land far, far away. So stay tuned here on 88.1 for all this and more on Eye on the Triangle, but first, the news. In an unusual step, the North Korean government has ordered its embassies to seek help as the Hermit Kingdom suffers from massive food shortages. Plagued by floods, an outbreak of livestock disease, and a brutal winter, the government ordered its embassies and diplomatic offices around the world to seek help. Requests have put the United States and other Western countries in an awkward position, which can either choose between ignoring the cries of a starving country or give food to an extremely corrupt distribution system that gives food to those who need it least. After the resignation of seven members of parliament and the deadly turn of protests last week, Yemeni President Ali Abdullah Saleh is set to declare a unity government in a last-ditch effort to appease the mounting tensions across the country. As was the case in Egypt and elsewhere, this is a case of too little too late, and it is likely that the opposition protesters will reject any offers from Saleh. On the 22nd, a Libyan warship defected to Malta after refused orders from embattled dictator Muammar Gaddafi to bomb the coastal city of Benghazi. However, despite several notable setbacks, Gaddafi remains defiant as his state crumbles around him. The dictator vowed to fight and die a martyr on Libyan soil. Appearing on state television, he called upon his supporters to take up the cause and fight back against the opposition, which gains more momentum each day in the face of governments across the world, including Obama, calling for Gaddafi's resignation. The city of Benghazi is now almost completely controlled by the opposition, and protesters are closing in on Libya's capital, Tripoli. Although credible reports state that at least a thousand people have died so far, the protesters show little sign of giving up the fight. Despite this, according to Al Jazeera, Muammar Gaddafi has reportedly appointed a head of Libya's foreign intelligence service to speak to the leadership of the government protesters. The space shuttle Discovery took off in its historic final mission into space, carrying supplies and spare parts to the International Space Station. This will be the last flight of the shuttle Discovery, which has made a total of 39 flights throughout its career, including the flights immediately following the Challenger disaster and the Columbia accident. And in other space-related news, Hawaii has okayed plans for the building of a giant telescope, moving one step closer to the construction of the world's largest telescope on the summit of Mauna Kea. A consortium of California and Canadian universities applied for the permit to build the 30-meter telescope on conservation land. Some native Hawaiians say the construction would defile Mauna Kea's summit, which they consider sacred. The telescope would be able to observe planets that orbit stars other than the sun and enable astronomers to watch new planets and stars being formed. The last U.S. World War I veteran has died of natural causes at the age of 110. Buckles served as a U.S. Army ambulance driver in Europe during the Great War and passed away peacefully Sunday morning at his home near Charlestown, West Virginia. His casket will be on display at the Capitol Rotunda, and the plans are already in the works for his burial at Arlington National Cemetery. Scientists recently discovered that magnetic north, the point at the top of the Earth that determines compass headings, is shifting its position at a rate of about 40 miles per year. As a result, everyone using a compass needs to be aware of the shift to make adjustments or obtain updated charts to ensure they get where they want to go. Although the magnetic shift has little impact on the average person and presents no danger to the Earth overall, it is costing the aviation and maritime industries millions of dollars to upgrade the navigational systems and charts. And lastly, over 100,000 people braved the harsh conditions in Wisconsin to protest Governor Scott Walker's plan to remove collective bargaining from the state's unionized workers. 
What's most alarming about this protest, however, is the virtual media blackout of the events that transpired, as none of the major news outlets such as CNN, MSNBC, and Fox News had any substantial coverage of the riots. Truly alarming indeed. For Eye on the Triangle News, I'm Matt Gardner. Thinking about trees awakens the aesthetic in all of us. They fill our mental canvases when we try and imagine the perfect spring day. They provide refuge from the blistering summer sun, stir poets to tears with their autumn color rains, and provide a happy harbor to nesting wrens each winter. In addition to improving the appearance of our neighborhoods, they actively contribute to our civic health. They do this through protecting groundwater, reducing erosion, lowering energy cost, and helping with stormwater management, all the while also increasing property values. Since its inception in 2003, the City of Raleigh's Parks and Recreations Department Urban Forestation Program, Neighborwoods, has planted more than 10,500 trees. Eye on the Triangle is joined by Sherry Graham from the Neighborwoods Program to talk about what they do. This program was created to help restore the City of Raleigh's street tree canopy. Several inclement weather events created a a gap in the city's tree canopy uh, where we lost a lot of older trees. The program is kind of like an adopt-a-tree program. So it is for people who live in the city of Raleigh Limits and people who have right away in front of their homes, which creates space for a street tree to be planted. It has to be planted on the city right-of-way where we designate So basically, we will come out and assess the right of way and find the right tree for the right place after inspecting infrastructure like stop signs. And we offer the tree to the homeowner in the adjacent home. Then we deliver the tree to them as long as they pledge to plant and water it where we've designated. When I think city, my mind immediately goes to concrete jungle, skyscrapers encroaching the heavens, sidewalks that don't end, asphalts laid out in grid patterns. How is urban forestation planting trees important to city life they help to um, eradicate heat islands where the temperature goes up because of pavements because of a lack of shade they help to decrease temperature in the city and they shade our pavement to make our pavement last longer they shade our buildings to reduce our energy costs and they help to hold soil in place to reduce erosion which increases the cleanliness of our streams They also create habitat for urban wildlife, such as birds and squirrels. Also increase air quality by helping to nab particulate matter out of the air. And they slow down raindrops to also decrease erosion. They just also decrease ambient air temperature and create aesthetic value to increase property values. What has the reaction and participation been like for the Neighborhoods Program? The response is great. I have personally helped to deliver over 4,000 trees since I started with this program. And we go out and convest neighborhoods and prioritize neighborhoods based upon how many trees they have. So a priority one neighborhood is going to be one that doesn't have any trees on the right of way and very few trees in the yards. So that is a top priority for us to go out and offer trees. So if anyone has or you've been around Raleigh and seen the little white flags in the right of way that say free trees, that means that we have designated a neighborhood for neighborhoods. 
Allianc.gov is the best way to get a hold of us. But if you would like to just call, you can call 919-996-4115 and just ask for um, Sherry Graham, the tree planting coordinator. I'll get you on that list. What types of trees does your program distribute? We offer the right tree for the right place. So we have a look at power lines, stop signs, distances to intersections, Everything like that so that we're making sure that we're not creating a maintenance issue for the city. If we came out and you had a three-foot wide right-of-way and power lines overhead, you would be offered something that matures to a height of 20 feet or less. And that's a redbud, a dogwood, a Chinese fringe tree. That are Those are just a few of the small maturing ones you would be offered. Medium range, which would be a planting strip that was maybe three to four feet wide and no overhead power lines. We have several maples that we offer that mature to a height of about 45 feet. We have a, um, a European hornbeam that we're offering. We have a mussel wood that we're offering this year. Chinese pistache is a great tree to put on the right of way. It's very tolerant to poor urban conditions. And then... If the the best situation occurs where there is a right away, a planting strip or no planting strip at all uh, that's five feet or bigger, definitely want to try to put oaks in that situation where there aren't any power lines. So this year we have willow oaks, we have nettle oaks, we are offering red maples this year, and actually this year we're offering a Dutch elm disease resistant American elm. The trees are all grown in state at a nursery in Clayton, North Carolina. Tar Heels native trees under ardent guidelines that will be big enough to be seen on lawn mowing days, but still manageable for arboretum neophytes to work with. They are grown in seven-gallon containers and are between five to six feet tall when they're delivered. If I've never planted a tree before, how much are you able to help provide? I am more than happy to work with people to get these trees planted properly because that is where our success comes in. All of the trees are purchased with donations. The trees don't come out of the fund any of any money that's dedicated by the city. So the city will pay my salary and one part-time person, but every dollar that's donated from a citizen to Neighborwoods goes directly into a fund that can only be used to purchase trees. Do you have any fundraisers coming up? Yes, actually we do. We have a really fun fundraiser coming up on March 12th at 8.30 a.m., We have the Run for the Oaks 5K. This is a really fun race. It's very popular in Raleigh. It's a flat course. It starts at City Market and it ends back at City Market. We'll be giving away seedlings. We'll have a booth set up where you can find information about neighborhoods. You can pick up a free seedling from the City of Raleigh Urban Forestry Division. Go home and plant in your yard. It will be giving away some fruit for you to back up on your nutrition after your long run and uh, it's always good to get your kids involved in that in that fun run there isn't any fee to get involved in the fun run for the the kids in order to register for this uh, event it is $18 recreational before March 3rd and $20 if you want to compete before March 3rd all of the proceeds from this race go back to tree planting in Raleigh all of the Profits can only be spent on planting trees in Raleigh via the Neighborhood Street Tree Program. Details for the race slash fundraiser are available at sportsoften.com. If I wanted to participate in the Neighborhoods Program, what does your calendar look like? We plant our trees from October to March. 
As soon as they go through the winter time and start waking back up in the spring, we need to slow down with planting because it's hard on them to be trying to grow and build up energy for next year while we are roughing them up and planting them. This past October, you reached a major milestone. What was that? October 15th, we planted our 10,000th tree. That tree is a lovely swamp white oak, and it is in Nash Square with a memorial plaque beside it. Basically, our goal of this program is to plant 1,500 trees per year, and we have consistently reached that goal since 2003, except for one year we took a break because there was a really bad drought here in Raleigh, and so we put the program on furlough a little bit and then kicked back out the next year and tried to make up for it. So that means that we planted our 10,000 just last year, and right now we are at almost 1,100 trees accepted for the season, so we're definitely looking forward to giving away about 400 more trees this year. The U.S. Drought Monitor still shows Wake County being in a severe drought. What is the best way to take care of your tree? A few things you can do to still water your tree while saving water is to get a device called a gator bag. It's a bag that you set at the base of the tree and the water will slowly trickle out of the bag. And that means that the water is going to penetrate down past the grass and past the mulch layer. And it's going to go deep into the root ball of the tree and more effectively water the tree. It regulates how much water you put on there as opposed to just setting your hose next to the tree and the water rolling over the top of the surface of the ground instead of penetrating down into the ground where the water is necessary. Do you have any suggestions for getting mulch for your budding tree farmer on a budget? Actually, I do. Whenever you accept a neighborhood's tree, you get a confirmation letter in the mail that tells you you, what day you can expect your tree on. In addition, there's a little blurb at the bottom that says, come to the city of Raleigh Yard Waste in order to receive mulch for your tree. And also, you can purchase mulch pretty cheaply. And this is a great thing because it's the leaves that the city of Raleigh yard waste collects from the side of the road or solid waste services collects from the side of the road. Thank you for joining us here on 88.1 WKNC and Eye on the Triangle. Any thoughts or last words? I just would really like to stress how important the urban forest is. And again, these trees are provided free of charge to citizens for planting on the right of way. And we would be more than happy to come out and assess your right of way. Just call us at 996-4115 or check us out at raleighnc.gov neighborhoods. WKNZ 88.1. The time is 714 and you are listening to Eye on the Triangle. I'm now joined here in the studio with uh, our very capable weather lady, uh, Katie Costa. Hey, Katie. Hey, Chris. How are you doing today? Good. How are you doing? Good. Now tell us a little about the weather that's going to be going on. Um, We had an unseasonably warm day today and yesterday, but we had a lot of rain last night. So tell us about it. Yes, that's right. Well, the weather coast, weather roller coaster is going to continue, Chris. Today it was significantly cooler than yesterday. Today we only got up to 57 degrees. And yesterday we saw a record high of 81. In fact, we beat the record high by one degree yesterday. Now, although today we weren't as warm as yesterday, sunny conditions made an overall pleasant day. Now, right now it is pretty chilly out there with temperatures at 46 degrees. And tonight we will be dropping below to freezing. So be sure to break out that winter jacket again because you will certainly need it. Now, tomorrow we will be slightly warmer than we were today with a high of 63 degrees and sunny skies. Tomorrow evening we will stay above freezing, but will be very chilly with a low of 35 degrees. So be sure to bundle up if you are planning on heading out tomorrow night. 
Thursday will be cooler with temperatures peaking to only 53 degrees with mostly sunny skies. And we will be right around freezing overnight Thursday and into the early morning hours on Friday. Now, Friday will be slightly warmer with a high of around 55 degrees with mostly sunny skies and slightly warmer conditions for Friday evening with the low staying above freezing at 43 degrees. Now, though it will be above freezing, it will once again still feel cold. So dress warm if you are planning on heading out downtown Friday night to kick off spring break. Saturday, we will jump back up into the mid-60s with mostly sunny skies, so it is the perfect day to get outside and go to the lake for a walk. In fact, Saturday is the best day to get outside this weekend since we do have a chance of rain that is expected to move through the area Saturday evening and extend into Sunday evening due to our next frontal disturbance creeping in from the west. But overall, expect pleasant, mild, sunny weather to continue throughout the duration of the week thanks to a high-pressure system dominating over our region. And be sure to get outside Saturday before that rain moves in on Saturday evening. I'm meteorologist Katie Costa. Thanks for turning in to your WKNC forecast here on Eye on the Triangle. Back to you, Chris. Thanks so much, Katie. And like she said, it this is Eye on the Triangle. Uh, we unfortunately have to go ahead and take a break. But when we come back, we'll have a story about Out Raleigh. And after that, we will be interviewing the fastest man at NC State and after that, sports. So stay tuned here, right here on 88.1 WKNC. Hey, man, why the long face? I just can't get any fly chicas to dance with me. That's because your moves are more awkward than a goth on a fixie, man. Well, where did you learn to dance? I got my skills from listening to the Dance Dance Revolution. Proctola DJ and Steve 3PO play the coolest... Did I hear someone say my name? It's Steve 3PO and Proctola DJ. That's right. We're here to show your friend a thing or two. Tune in to the Dance Dance Revolution Sunday nights from 8 to 10 to hear the finest dance rock, electro pop, and genres that haven't even been thought of yet. Programming on 88.1 WKNC is supported by Tiernanog Irish Pub in Raleigh. Each Thursday, Tiernanog and WKNC present local beer, local band night. This Thursday, March 3rd, features music from Trouble, Wind and Willow, and the Charming Youngsters. Tiernanog also has local beer on tap. More information can be found at tnnirishpub.com or wkncorg lblb. WKNC would like to thank Tiernanog for their continued support. Last year, the CDC estimated that more than 12,000 people in the U.S. died from the flu. 1,200 of them were children. The CDC now recommends everyone six months and older be vaccinated against the flu every year. The flu is very serious. Get your family vaccinated. It's the best way to prevent the flu and keep your family healthy. Visit FamiliesFightingFlu.org or call 1-888-2-N-FLU for more information to find vaccines in your area or to support flu prevention education. This message is a public service of Families Fighting Flu and 88.1 WKNC. On Thursday evening, in the Rialto Theater, a crowd began to settle into their seats for what became a raucous evening of sing-along fun. As the lights went down and the movie Grease began, it became quickly obvious that this wasn't some ordinary movie showing. Hosted by Out Raleigh, this event was sponsored by the GLBT Center of Raleigh, North Carolina. Out Raleigh is an event for LGBT Center of Raleigh, and the Out Raleigh is a major fundraising event for LGBT Center. Um, Out Raleigh's just not raising money just to throw another party. We are raising money for the LGBT Center and all its programs. That's Rusty Sutton. He's part of the committee to plan the Out Raleigh Festival, which takes place on May 14th at the City Plaza. Out Raleigh started over a year and a half ago. Um, it was a group of folks that were meeting at the Cam- Cameron Village Library that wanted to put on a Pride Festival for Raleigh. And um, things evolved because Raleigh has not had, has never had uh, 
a festival for the LGBT community. Um, we thought that it was time for the the powers to be that be in Raleigh to know that there is an LGBT community. We wanted the mayor, we wanted the city councilman to know there is an LGBT community. And that's one of the reasons for this festival, is to show Raleigh there is an LGBT community. And we are families just like everybody else's families. Out Raleigh, as well as the GLBT Center, has made it their goal to show Raleigh that they're an important part of the community. Mitch Null, another organizer of Out Raleigh, explains. One of the things that we wanted to accomplish through this festival is to really show the family orientation and to show a different side of the LGBT community that people may not see on a regular basis and to show that we're in all types of jobs in the community and that we are an integral part of the community. So from the beginning of the festival, that was one of our key components is to make sure it is a family-friendly atmosphere where people can feel free to bring their parents, to bring their relatives, to bring anyone from the community that they may be associated with. And through that, we've, we've kind of evolved into different fundraisers. We've done, um, I mean, we had a fundraiser at Monkey Joe's. And I mean, how many pride festivals do you hear about that have, mo- that have fundraisers at Monkey Joe's? So, I mean, we've really tried to go out of our way to make it as family-friendly as possible. And we've done different movie screenings. We try to do uh, a lot of our fundraisers. We kept them very low cost. We're trying to keep everything as low cost as possible to reach the wide community. And none of our fundraisers have been gay-specific or GLBT-specific. We're trying to make all the fundraisers and the festival itself open to anyone and everyone who wants to come. And this sentiment is echoed by Bobby Hilburn, president of the GLBT Center of Raleigh. I think people should know that we are here and we are just like everybody else, that their support for us is much needed and much welcome. And we invite more people, not just LGBT individuals. We're here for our allies as well. And we have a strong community in the area, and we're only going to get stronger. And we ask that you support us and that you come out and visit us. You can always find more information about the LGBT Center of Raleigh at lgbtcenterofraleigh.com. And you also can visit us at Facebook. We're on there as well under LGBT Center Raleigh. You can get on a mailing list. Just email us and we'll add you. And if you have any questions, you can always call us at 919-832-4484. For Eye on the Triangle, I'm Nick Savage. And I'm Chris Chaffee. So I'm here in the studio with a speed demon from the cross country and the track team. So could you please introduce yourself? Well, uh, I'm Ryan Hill. Uh, I'm a sophomore eligibility-wise in track, and I've run three years of cross country. And I just wrapped up ACC championships, and I have two weeks until the NCAA indoor track championships. And what do you study? I'm a sport management major. And a major in track, I'm assuming? Yes, yeah, pretty much. And so, Ryan, can you explain what happened last weekend at the ACC Championships? Yeah, ACC Championships indoor track in uh, Blacksburg, Virginia. Uh, Virginia Tech is a great facility, so uh, indoor is always, always there, it seems like. I competed in the distance melee relay, uh, the mile leg, the anchor leg, and um, got the baton in, I think, sixth or seventh place, uh, three seconds behind the leader, and I was able to... You know, run my personal best in the mile and anchor us back and uh, win the thing. Okay, so the distance medley relay, it's a race composed of four different segments. First, it starts off with 1,200 meters? That's correct. Okay, yeah. and then it goes to 400 meters? Or yes. Then 800, and, and then... The six, mile. And then the mile. It's a full mile. A full yeah. mile, okay. Which is just about eight or nine yards 
longer than four laps mm-hmm. on a track. Yeah, yeah. Okay, and so you were in sixth place. Mm-hmm. You got the baton, and all you were thinking about doing was winning the race. But you came out with a phenomenal time of three minutes and 57 seconds. How do you feel about that? Well, uh, it, you know, it wasn't ever about time. I never thought about time. Um, obviously, you always want to break four and stuff, but I was just thinking about the win. I just kept my head up, kind of compared where I was, where the leader was, and tried to gradually make it up. Because, I mean, it's something we've been talking about, you know, for a couple of weeks, you know, winning the distance medley relay. We wanted to do that because uh, there's a lot of pride. You know, we really wanted to beat Virginia Tech and UVA because they've been kind of dominating that event. And so that's all I was thinking about. And I ended up out kicking a Virginia Tech kid to win it. So, And you came out with a time of 3 minutes and 57 seconds. Yes. And so that puts you, I guess, in the, you know, in the, not the Hall of Fame, but you're amongst the few people who have gotten under four. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, as as a runner, as a competitor, how does that affect the upcoming track season, and how does it put your training and racing in perspective? You know, like you said, um, few people have broken four, but more and more breaking four every year. You know, it's it's not quite as big a deal as it used to be, but it's still, especially then to go 357, that would be my personal best yeah. you know, if it if it were just a not part of the relay, because you know, it, it kind of doesn't really count, you know. But in my mind, it counts. I know I can run 357. My coach knows I can run 357 now. But um, as far as it doesn't change any kind of training, but it does let me know what I can do in a mile now. But I still see myself as more of a, a 5K guy, 5,000 meters. And and that's the mindset I'll have going into track. Okay, so AC, not ACCs, uh, Nationals are coming up, NCAAs. Mm-hmm. Um, that's in two weeks. Two weeks. And so what race will you be running then? Well, I qualified for the 3,000 meter. And so going along with the 5K, three, you know, that kind of distance, that's what I'm best at. And uh, so 3,000, just short of two miles, that's what I'll be competing in. 15 laps on the 200 meter track? That's correct, yeah. Okay. What's the competition looking like? The 3,000 is looking real good this year. Um, you know, the way the setup works for qualifying at nationals is... You know, for indoor, it's very difficult because there's no regional system. It's uh, it's based off of time, and they take the 16 best times or an automatic. And the automatic qualifying time for national is 7:54, and 18 guys ran the automatic time this year, which is you know normally you know, it's like five or six. So this year is a huge year for the 3,000. It's very competitive, and um, I'm glad to be one of those 18 guys that got the automatic time. And do you feel like you're prepared for a competitive field? Oh yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm definitely ready because, um, whereas in the, those invitationals, you might be going for a better time. You know, it'll be kind of more of a, a tactical race, and you know, kind of sitting uh, position type that that first half, and then someone will always make a, mo- a huge move, and I'll come down to a kick. That's really something I think I'm I'm great at, just feeling out the race and then kicking at the end. But you're not the only one who's making strides on the track team. You you mentioned that the team is full of talent. Could you explain what the team is looking like going into spring track? Well, the guys that I see on a day-to-day basis are the distance the distance guys. Um, Andrew Colley, he's made a, a junior world cross-country team. Um, he came in second and third this weekend, the 5,000, 3,000. So he, and, and he's a year younger than me, and so, but he can, you know, train right with me, race right with me even. And then you got a guy who's a year older than me, Adam Hinkin, 
he he was uh, on the 1200 meter leg of the distance medley relay and he's just extremely competitive and I, I i love having guys to race with and work out with that are like that and that's kind of what us three are like me andrew and adam are like we're, we're tough we work hard and we're really competitive how soon is the first home meet at nc state uh the big one to kind of kick off the outdoor season is raleigh relays and i think that's uh somewhere around march late march 20th uh that's you know, outdoor is so tough to, like, say we have a home meet or whatever because you know, it's the opener. We'll just have a couple of guys running one event trying to get a regional mark just to kick off the season. But um, other than that, you know, we don't race at our our track much. We just use it for workouts and stuff. Well, uh, thanks for stopping by, and I wish you the best of luck with the Nationals in the upcoming spring track season. Thank you very much. Joined here in close production with uh, the ever-present and ever-knowledgeable Taylor Barber from uh, NC State's glorious newspaper, The Technician. What's going on, guys? How you doing today? Doing good, man. How's uh, how's the uh, basketball situation this week? Uh, a, a glimmer of sunlight in a real dark, dark place. Yeah, it was. Um, Tima, you got to give them one thing. You got one thing you can say to coach about Coach Lowe's teams if they're not quitting. I mean, after two tough losses to Maryland, Carolina, two emotional losses, especially against Carolina as well as they played, just kind of let it slip through right at the last few minutes. Um, you could have expected an easy have this team just come out against Georgia Tech on Sunday and just, just or Saturday and just lay down, not really come out with much emotion. But they came out, played well, took care of business. Um, didn't make it too easy. They uh. Georgia Tech battled back, but um, it's the one thing you can't knock them. I mean, they came out, played hard, gave it all their effort, played like the ACC championship was on the line, and uh, they took care of business. Uh, you saw a big game from uh, Scott Woods, something that we haven't seen much this year. He got a lot of shots off, but he wasn't just doing it from the three-point line. He hit some layups, which, I mean, you never see that from Scott Wood. He's usually always just a jump shooter kind of guy, drove a little bit, and uh, just played well, hit some clutch free throws at the end of the game, and uh, secured the uh, team's fifth victory this year in the ACC uh, uh, as they took down Georgia Tech. Fantastic. And uh, about now, the Virginia Tech game started. Um, what are the keys to this game tonight? Uh, I'd say the biggest thing is just they need to keep playing like they're playing. They're working good. The biggest, the thing that helped them offensively um, against Georgia Tech was they played a good inside-out game. That's what they just make. Give the ball down to Tracy Smith, C.J. Leslie, Richard Howe. Give it to those guys. Let them feel it out. If they double-team them in, they need to kick it back outside. If not, let the big guys take just take the ball to the rack and uh, score. I mean, as long as they play unselfish, kick it back and forth, I mean, that's the best thing they have offensively, and it seemed to work at least last week when they really did it. Just really quickly, uh, I think we've been beating a dead horse, but uh, Sidney Lowe probably on his way out is there any rumors about next year's uh coach prospects no and at least from what i haven't heard anything and i really don't expect them to be as bad isn't as bad as the coaching search was uh i guess when Lowe was hired so that would have been five years ago it was so public everybody knew about who was coming who was going who said no why they said no all that i mean just lee fowler former athletic director lee fowler just i mean it was horrendous just the way that everything went down. No one knew. Everyone knew everything. It was so public, so criticized, national media everywhere. So, And I really expect the new AD and Debbie Yao to uh, keep this one very close to the chest, go out, try to find their person. You're not going to hear 
I, I wouldn't expect to hear the ones that say no. I don't think that we'll know who was actually interviewed and who not, and I don't think we'll hear anything until a coach is announced. All right, well, let's switch gears. Um, talk about a sport that has uh, a lot of life in it this season. Uh, talk about some baseball. I heard there was a good weekend. Yeah, baseball played well. Uh, they did their uh, baseball at the beach which is, I think, their fourth annual trip where they head down to Myrtle Beach, play some of the best talent around the whole NCAA. This year consisted of Coastal Carolina, which is the host of the tournament, uh, NC State, Pacific, and uh, University of California. And there were some good teams down there, and the team walked away two and three, uh, took care of business on Friday against Pacific, I think just ran through them, um, ended up slipping up against Cal, which – Kind of understandable coming from NC State, an NC State team that's not ranked, losing to Cal, who is I think number nine in the country. But they only lost four nothing. Corey Mazzoni pitched a great game, uh, gave up one, just had one bad pitch, gave up a three run shot. It was his only mistake of the game. But really, outside of that, just didn't get any offensive backup. But then on um, on Sunday, they took care of business against Coastal Carolina, who's a top twenty team, and uh, ended up beating them pretty handily. Got a second great performance. From um, uh, Danny Healy, who's a sophomore pitcher this year, who's going to be just crucial for this team as they keep moving forward. If he continues to pitch the way he is, that's going to give them two frontline starters in Healy and uh, Mazzoni. And that's going to go a long way for this team and could really help them as soon as they start entering ACC play and give this team really a chance to compete for uh, some regional spots in the, uh, in the tournament, or not the tournament, but in the College World Series later on. What do we have to look forward to this week in baseball? Uh, baseball, uh, if you're here, I know it's spring break and everything, but baseball takes on Penn State at home this week. Got a three-game series starting Friday, I believe, at 3, and uh, should be a great series. Penn State's always uh, got a pretty good program, but um, not, I'm not sure how many people will be here with spring break, like I said, but it should be a great game. You'll probably see Mazzoni throw one, Healy go two, and uh, I think their third starter kind of still up in the air right now. They're trying to find that. But uh should be a great set, uh, great series, and um, just something you go see, go pack the doke out there. Well, thanks so much, Taylor, for joining us. Uh, Taylor Barber from Technician Sports. Uh, thanks as always. No problem. See you guys next week. I'm here in closed production studios with Mark Manessis of uh, Bricks Breaking Boundaries. Mark, go ahead and introduce yourself. Hey, Chris. I'm Mark Manessis. Like you said, I'm a senior in nuclear engineering, and I'm one of the co-founders of Bricks Breaking Boundaries. What exactly is Bricks Breaking Boundaries? So we call it BBB for short. It's much easier to say. And what it is, is really a student response to the freshman reading that was assigned this past summer, Half the Sky. Now tell us a little about that. So Half the Sky is a book written by Nicholas Kristof and Cheryl Rudun, and it focuses on gender inequality that exists throughout much of the world. The three main issues they focus on are maternal mortality, gender-based violence, and forced prostitution that occurs widely throughout Africa, South Asia, and Southeast Asia. You guys read the book. You have identified these problems. What did B3 do about it? So what we're doing is trying to raise funds to actually start a school and fund it for 10 years in rural Cambodia. So the idea is all of our events are going to be either held on campus or by campus groups. So this will be a fully NC State-funded school. And uh, what kind of money is that? 
So we're looking to raise about $25,000 total. Full cost of the school to actually build it is only about 13K, but the rest of the money will help sustain it for the next about 10 years. Now, what exactly goes into the funding for a school? What does that money go to? So like I said, the first $13,000 are the material costs, you know, building materials, supply, labor, etc. The rest of it is going to provide bookshelves, books, teachers. There's option for solar panels, etc. What kind of events have you had so far and what are you guys doing to raise this money? So we've had two big events recently. One of them was a contra dance that the NC State Contra Dancing Club helped us host. We were able to raise about $100 there. Another event that we were able to be included on was the Caldwell Fellows Annual Gala. And I haven't heard back from the results there, but usually that is able to raise around two to $3,000. What did you do there? So there we were able to give a short presentation to alumni and friends of the Caldwell Fellows, as well as hold a silent auction for monetary benefit. So um, this is associated with the Caldwell Fellows, which is a group of scholars here on campus that you apply to after your freshman year, and you get a stipend as well as some tuition aid, correct? Correct. And the Caldwell Fellows Gala is geared towards current and previous Caldwell Fellows? It usually is geared towards something that the Caldwell Fellows has some kind of involvement with. Most of our founding members are Caldwell Fellows, so there is that kind of tie to it, although it is not an exclusive Caldwell Fellows program. So you know exactly where the school is going to be built? We do not yet. However, after a $5,000 pledge with a organization called American Assistance for Cambodia, we will be told the location of the school. So if I were interested in contributing some money to Bricks Breaking Boundaries, how would I go about doing that? Well, there's two ways. You could either check us out on Facebook. We could be found simply by searching Bricks Breaking Boundaries. You could also go to our website, which is www.ncsubbb.org, and there you'll find links to our email and whatnot. Cool. Thanks for coming in, Mark. No, thank you. WKNC 88.1, you are listening to On the Triangle, and it's time for This Week in History. Hello, and welcome to This Week in History. I'm Nick. And I'm Dave. This week in 1815, Napoleon Bonaparte escaped from his exile at Elba. He would go on to take back his status as emperor during his Hundred Days campaign. After his defeat at Waterloo, however, he would be sent back into exile at St. Helena, a lot further away from France, until his death. Only four genuine death masks of Napoleon's face were made, and one of them is housed at UNC's University Library. In 1919, the Grand Canyon became the 17th National Park. The canyon is 277 miles long, up to 18 miles wide, and over one mile deep in some spots. In 1929, Grand Teton National Park was established. Over two and a half million people visit the park each year. It is said that no two Tetons are alike. Isn't that right, Nick? Indeed it is, Dave. In 1836, the Battle of the Alamo began in San Antonio, Texas. This Mexican attempt to take over Texas ended up causing the deaths of all 260 people at the Alamo Mission. The United States Steel Corporation was incorporated this week in 1901 by J.P. Morgan and became the first corporation to be worth $1 billion. The company is also the namesake for the Pittsburgh Steelers, who recently lost the Super Bowl. In 1920, the Nazi Party, otherwise known as the National Socialist German Workers' Party, was founded. Right. Anyway, in 1953, James D. Watson and Francis Crick discovered DNA structure, which of course is a helical arrangement of two long nucleotide polymers bound to each other by one of the four bases, adenine, cytosine, guanine, and Obviously. In 1945, during the Battle of Iwo Jima, a group of Marines and a Navy corpsman raised the U.S. flag on Mount Suribachi. The event was captured in an iconic photograph now immortalized in the United States Marine Corps War Memorial in Arlington, Virginia. 
Amazingly, photographer Joe Rosenthal captured the image without using the viewfinder on the camera. In 1954, the first mass polio vaccination took place. Since then, the worldwide incidence of polio has decreased to just over 1,500 cases per year. In 1970, National Public Radio was founded. There are now 797 public radio stations across the United States. In summer 2010, the name was changed to simply NPR since their media is now available in a variety of ways, not just the radio. In 1993, a bomb was detonated beneath the World Trade Center, killing six people and an unborn child and injuring over a thousand. In 1980, the United States Olympic hockey team defeated the Soviet hockey team in what became known as the Miracle on Ice. The teams were very unevenly matched since the U.S. team consisted of college and amateur players while the Soviet team was almost entirely professional. And now for some birthdays. In 1685, composer George Friedrich Handel was born. He is most famous for writing Messiah. George the Boss Washington was born in 1732. He was an outstanding military leader, our nation's first president, and was apparently very good at telling the truth. He is known as the father of our country and is credited with leading the American Revolution. Buffalo Bill Cody was born this week in 1846. He helped popularize the Cowboy vs. Indians theme through his Wild West shows. Surprisingly, he was an advocate of women's and Indians' rights. In 1889, director Victor Fleming was born. Two of his movies, The Wizard of Oz and Gone with the Wind, are some of the best-known films ever made. John Steinbeck, an American author, was born in 1902. His most famous works include The Grapes of Wrath and Of Mice and Men. Italian-American race car driver Mario Andretti was born in 1940. He has had an incredibly successful career in Formula One, IndyCar, and NASCAR. In 1943, singer, songwriter, and guitarist George Harrison was born. His career began with the Beatles, and he furthered his success with other groups and a solo career. June Barrymore was born in 1975. She is best known for her roles in E.T. and Batman Forever. Well, that's all the knowledge we've got for you this week. I'm Nick. And I'm Dave. Thanks for listening, and keep it historical. Raleigh. The Joy of Gaming podcast is recorded twice a month here at NC State, covering games and the gaming industry from a unique perspective. I am Rich Lepore. And I'm Tim McNeil. And today we have a special guest with us. Jordan Alseka. The following is a brief snippet from our Joy of Gaming podcast, this time on the subject matter of new release Marvel vs. Capcom 3. It's been a nice, uh, light news week, guys. So what's up in the world of Marvel vs. Capcom 3? Well, Marvel vs. Capcom 3 came out on February 15th. Okay. It's a new 2D fighting game. It's kind of similar to Street Fighter in some aspects, different in others. Um, basic premise of the game is you take the Marvel Universe of comics and you go against the Capcom Universe of characters. And so you get stuff like Ryu fighting Wolverine or the Super Scroll fighting the Bionic Commando and stuff like that. Um, for those who are, are, are new to the franchise, could you describe sort of the, the fighting mechanics and the way that the game is laid out? Sure. Uh, well, the basic idea is instead of just having a one-on-one fight, you select a team of three, mixing whichever characters you choose, and you can switch in at any time. And basically what you do is you can chain combos together by switching teammates and allowing different fighting styles to mix together to create a more frantic, fast-paced type of fighter where things are changing constantly. Also, each individual character has an assist attack that you can call in at any time to where they'll come in and do a single attack that'll help your person on the screen. So although you can only control one of them, you can get them to go in. And it really makes it a much more team-based fighting game because you have to think of all three of your characters working in conjunction as opposed to individuals. So is it important to plan out your teams based upon each other's strengths? If you want to do well, yeah. <laughs> okay. yeah. A lot of the ba- – for me, the beginning of the weeks have been you know figuring out what each character does and then figuring out which ones I like as well as which ones work well together. Yeah, I mean because there's certain stuff like let's say you've got a person who's got a fireball that hits low. 
but then you can get an assist character that's got a fireball that hits from above. And so that way, when they're ducking to block you from hitting low, the one that hits them from above, and you got an instant hit or something like that. And so you can work in conjunction like that and get those little things. And then you can create traps and stuff like that. There's a whole big mechanic that all works all together. It's starting to sound pretty complicated. It, so now it's similar to Street Fighter, but definitely a lot more complex. You say it's a more aggressive type game? Uh, well, it's actually easier to do combos. Okay. But the strategy of Marvel vs. Capcom 3 is really complicated. So, so as a new, I'm, I'm not, you know, I'm a huge gamer, but I don't really play a lot of fighting games. Mm-hmm. So I know my way around the controller really well, but not so much how to pull off combos, how to, mm-hmm. you know, the hitboxes, you know, ranked characters. Mm-hmm. How, um, friendly is it to a newer gamer it's friendly in some aspects because you can mash buttons and get cool looking combos you can do that really easily because most people's basic combos you just hit weak weak attack medium attack hard attack launcher and that's like everybody and that's just four buttons in a row um and that's pretty much you know what you do for everybody and that gets basic combos and um they've also added some things to try to make it more friendly to new people they've added a simple mode which kind of makes it easier to do combos at the same time it also cuts off a lot of their moves, the more complex stuff, so it yeah. can also be a detriment. But it allows you to get into the game and feel powerful before you've taken the time to learn things. Uh, well, well, that said, uh, what is your guys' uh, quick uh, you know, minute-and-a-half review on the game? How, how is it? How does it stack up against its predecessor, Marvel vs. Capcom 2? I'm kind of mixed at the modem. Um, they made... One of the problems with Marvel vs. Capcom 2 was that there were a few characters that were vastly overpowered over everyone else. Right. And so when it got to competitive play, that's where the only people anyone used. And so the strategy was to make it so every character is now that overpowered, to where every character has a combo that can just annihilate another opponent in one in one go. And to try so to get sort that of as, turning every character up to eleven in an effort to yeah balance it out. But that kind of makes it not fun for me sometimes. I'm not sure how I feel on that because it's like if you go into a match online, you can literally get killed in like three combos, and there's nothing you can do. Um, and but that's playing against good players and stuff like that. And so there's that sort of stuff that kind of takes away from the game a little bit. How about you, Jordan? Um, for me, I've really enjoyed it. It's a fun game, especially if you can find someone on your same skill level, just because with that overpowered element, y- you can have matches go either way and feel yeah. excited about that factor. Some of the things that don't work as well is that so far there's not a lot of online stuff just in terms of mode. There's no spectator mode when you're in lobbies. You just have to watch two cards hit each other and watch health go down, which is <laughs> pretty depressing considering this is Capcom, who've done all of this stuff before. Um, also, the online is pretty busted. It's hard to get a match going. However, this is all stuff they've said they're planning to fix, so I'm not you know, judging them based yeah, on the, that yet. By the, fir- by the time they had their first DLC, which is Shuma Gorath and Jill from Ru- uh, Resident Evil. So new characters will be new coming. New characters, yes, new characters. Um, they said that they're going to fix the online problems when that happens because they're doing a big patch anyway. Um, and so that will come through and hopefully fix all the online issues. But currently, it takes about six tries to get in on a match. So overall, uh, a, a sort of a lukewarm... Thumbs up on this game. Give me some time, and I think it's going to be a big thumbs up. But right now, I'm not sure how I feel about it. Uh, for me, well, for me, I'd say it's a thumbs up in the sense of the gameplay. They just need to fix what's not right with it. Yeah, it's definitely a lot of fun, but I don't know if I'm going to be playing it as long as I played Marvel vs. Capcom 2. On that note, to find more of the joy of gaming, go to technicianonline.com slash features, and be sure to email us at rtlepore at ncsu.edu with any questions, comments, or ideas to improve the show. Thanks a lot. See you next week. Have it. WKNC 88.1. This is I on the Triangle, and uh, the last thing we have for the show today is we went out and we asked random students how they felt today, and here it is. It's called Sound Bites, only here on 88.1 WKNC. The Joy of Gaming Podcast is recorded.
I guess we don't have sound bites for you today. You know, uh, well, anyway, the time is uh, about 7.46, and I guess we're going to end the show a little bit early today. Uh, I want to thank Taylor Barber, Tyler Brandon, Jacob Downey, Tommy Anderson, Selma, Kyle Jones, Lydia Simmons, Dave and Nick for their contributions, the technician for their help and collaboration, assistant director Mark Herring, the Quidditch Club, our friends at Bricks Breaking Boundaries, and the GLBT Center, the Joy of Gaming Podcast, and the NC State Meteorology Department. If you have a question or concern, email us at publicaffairs at wknc.org. Or call us at 919-628-0869. You can also find us on Facebook by searching for I on the Triangle. Or if you're more of the snail mail type, our web address or our uh, physical address is WKNC 88.1 FM, Attention Public Affairs, Campus Box 8607-343, Witherspoon Student Center, Raleigh, North Carolina, 27695. And if you also have an idea for a story that we do on our show, please uh, use those contact informations, publicaffairs at WKNC.org works best. If you want to download our podcast, you can find it at wknc.org slash EOT slash podcast, Jen. And for I'm the Triangle, I am Chris Chaffee, and we will see you next week.